There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Tonight I want to talk about two big subjects shaping America's future. The first one is the ongoing discussion of what to do about the health care system in America. And the second one we'll address in the second hour has to do with how America deals rightly or correctly with the threat of radical Islam, given our love and honor of religious freedom and our equally uh, strong desire for security and safety in America. But in the first hour, on the subject of the healthcare situation, it's really quite an amazing place we are in. We are at a crossroads. We had the uh, Obamacare is imploding. I'll hit the stats on that in a moment. It just cannot continue, can't function. And the uh, Republicans' first effort at repealing Obamacare and replacing it with the American Healthcare Act was um, did not could not get through Congress, and so we're at a place where we're really needing leadership to speak up and talk about what do we need to do to healthcare to get it right. On this, and so we're either going to have free market forces, which is what conservatives say they want, and I believe actually the American people want. But we have the, the challenge is, is it going to be government-controlled health care and health insurance, or is it going to be free market forces reintroduced into the American health care system? Just a few stats on, on Obamacare imploding in case you think maybe that's being exaggerated. There are literally in this country, because of the way Obamacare exchanges were set up and private insurance companies participating in the Obamacare exchanges, um, they are expected the, the entire states of Alaska and Alabama will only have one insurer on the, ent- on the whole Obamacare system um, at some time during this year They're, because insurance companies simply cannot, they can't survive, they can't make money, they can't function as a business under the dynamics of the Obamacare system. There are counties, as there were 650 counties uh, last year that only had a single insurer provider available on Obamacare, so that's not a choice at all. It's simply a mandate to have insurance, and by the way, it has to be this one, which is so antithetical to free markets. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this segment talking about, but Obamacare implosion is not just a talking point, it's a reality, leaving many Americans especially the state of Tennessee has been hit very hard by this, with simply no access to health insurance under Obamacare exchanges. So what I want to turn to and talk about after the break is all of the free market possibilities that we don't even talk about anymore that could just do a tremendous job um, in bringing uh, the things that everyone claims to want, competition, low prices, high quality, choices for people and the freedom to purchase the health insurance you want instead of the health insurance mandated by the government. We're going to talk about that most of the first hour. I do want, although right after the break, to have us talk about you know, what it was about the American Health Care Act that the uh, or the as we were calling a few weeks ago, Rhino Care, why there was opposition to it, why the Freedom Caucus would not support it and then um, end up where we can um, 
we can understand that that was almost equally impossible as Obamacare was. But I want to posit this last thought about America. We pride ourselves on being this country of free markets, freedom, free enterprise. We can point to so many products in America that were exorbitantly expensive when first invented, but because of competition and other providers coming up with, you know, a different computer, a different computer program, Competition introduces a multitude of products, it drives down prices, and increases increases quality of what is provided. Contrast that with, as an example, what happens in countries around the world when the government controls everything, the healthcare system in Canada, Cuba, England, other places in the world, where you wait for a long time for things you want, you have very little choice, if any choice at all, and quality and access are greatly diminished. We actually can work into this issue with our eyes wide open. We can be, as Americans, more willing to learn from our neighbors and say, you know what, we're going to take this tremendous free enterprise spirit of America and reintroduce it into the healthcare system. Because the problem is if we don't do that pretty soon, even just seven years of Obamacare have started to have an impact on how people think about health care. And I mentioned before in this show my Russian grandmother analogy, but I knew a woman. We lived in the Washington, D.C. area. A friend of mine, her mom was Russian, had grown up in Russia through the communist era. And when this grandmother came to visit America— She was astonished at the quality of food available in the grocery stores and kept saying, your government gives you better food than the Russian government gives us. And my friend saying, it's not the government. It's the farmers. It's the producers. It's the, you know, it's people. It's free markets. This grandmother could never grasp the idea. She could never understand it. To her worldview, supply food and every other item you'd buy in the grocery store had to come from the government. And this is a mentality that is has set in with respect to low-income communities, thinking that somehow your food, your supply, your housing comes from government. We need to be very careful in America that we don't fall into that mindset about health care and think that if anything is wrong in the health care system, inadequate, The only solution is to force the government, demand the government pass another mandate, another regulation, another policy, as opposed to free people finding new sources of health care and doctors and hospitals and suppliers of medical equipment and medicines also feeling and remembering this is a free market country. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. We come back after the break, and we remind all of you, take notes on just how bad RhinoCare was. Don't go away. On August 2, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. 
There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I love, love, love having my Right View Roundtable. And tonight here I have Wade Miller and Lori Medina. And I really want to talk this whole first hour about the health care thing. I want to step back just from the partisan bickering and from the, um, you know, back and forth of detail, except I, wa- I think it's important, it's just incredibly important for conservatives to understand why the Freedom Caucus was so right to reject the bill created by Paul Ryan. We were calling it Rhino Care recently or whatever you want to call it, American Health Care Act. But what the Freedom Caucus rejection was behind it. So Wade Miller, who is with um, Heritage Action, is, is way uh, very, very, very knowledgeable about the details. I want to have him just 
And I, I honestly, this is for my friends who tell me I take notes during your show. This is a time you want to take notes. Be ready to say this to your friends at a cocktail party. But so what was so wrong? Start with the, start with the, the worst thing about the bill that the Freedom Caucus rejected. Well, essentially, the AHCA, American Healthcare Act, did not repeal the very first title of Obamacare, Title One. And Title One is a whole slew of regulations that apply to insurers and what has to be on these plans and the way insurers have to treat these plans. This is what is responsible. So over the past seven years, when people have been complaining about their premiums skyrocketing, you know, doubling, tripling, quadrupling, this is mostly what has caused that. And so when this bill came forward and it didn't repeal these regulations, the House Freedom Caucus members started looking at this and thinking to themselves, you know, how are we going to go back into our districts and face our voters in a year or two years or three years from now when their prices keep going up? And it's important to note that the CBO uh, even had their back on this, showing that under this plan, premiums would continue to rise every single year for at least the next 10 years. Okay, and we're... for them, that was just a non-starter. They, they demanded that that be in there even though they were willing to compromise on quite a few other areas of the bill, which was imperfect, they put their foot down on this as a red line. They could not go back to their voters after seven years of promising them that they were going to get at the cost issue and then pass a bill that didn't. Okay, that was brilliant. I meant to say one other thing about this whole Obamacare battle during the campaign cycle, and it relates to what you were just saying, which is, to me, there were kind of two levels of of, uh, conservative opposition to Obamacare. One was a grand political, you know, macro political level. We don't want the government controlling our health care. This is America, and we don't want you controlling our health care, period. Second was that people who actually purchase or in some way participate in the cost of their own health insurance saw their premiums going up, their deductibles going up, their policies uh, not covering things they needed, covering things they didn't need, their choices diminished. Like everything was wrong in the practical functioning of the Obamacare system for the 85 percent of Americans who prior to Obamacare's passage liked their health care and liked their doctor. So back to your point, and then I'm going to turn to Lori in a second, but back to your point, the pragmatic problem that people complained about in terms of cost was not remedied at all by this American Health Care Act, which is one of the things, folks, if you're talking to your friends about it, you, you can't claim you're repealing if you're not fixing the problem at all. It's just something... Oh, I've got a lot to say, but I'll let you, you finish that thought if no, you want. I, I'm kind of done. That first one is that the overall, the big regulations didn't get, did not get pulled, which is if it's still going to cost you the same or, and the cost problem is increasing, you don't get to call it a repeal. I don't care how many hidden, you know, taxes, as Carl Rove keeps trying to put out, you know, these hidden taxes that were repealed. It doesn't register with people saying, yeah, but my premium is still through the roof. Uh, you have something on the premiums or I don't know where you're. No, my, my. I want to talk about the political side of this, but go okay. ahead. Okay. Well, then let me just say, you mentioned three things, I think. There was essential health benefits, which was in uh, Title I regs in Obamacare and in this. I mean, it's in Obamacare. And it's in the Title I health regs. What does that mean in plain English, essential benefits? Uh, it, it kind of covers uh, items and coverages that need to be in these differing plans. So whether you have a bronze plan, a silver plan, or a gold plan, et cetera, it, it just in a, in a kind of a macro view, it kind of dictates what has to be in there. Okay, so this is my, my freedom example. I'm serious. I live in Texas. If I can find an insurance company that only wants to cover me for breaking my leg on a Tuesday, 
and I want to pay for it and they want to sell it, there should be no one in Washington saying, sorry, that doesn't count. Right. But and I shouldn't have to cover, uh, 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 you know, pregnancy purchase. tests and, yeah. and, and prenatal care because I'm a male and I will biologically never give birth to a child. And yet under Obamacare, I'm required to purchase that coverage. This is part of the essential benefits thing. This is part of people are griping about, well, I don't want to buy insurance for, you know, smokers or whatever it is. I don't smoke. I never smoke. Why should I do that? And so essential benefits was one cost driver that didn't get repealed, even though I think Freedom Caucus negotiated a little bit in that. But they still, at the end of the day, there wasn't going to be this dropping of this government-controlled mandate of insurers, what they had to cover, right? Okay. Right. Well, okay, what's this guaranteed issue thing mean? Oh, that was uh, what has to be in these plans. I'm sorry. Essential health benefits is also what needs to be covered. But uh, the guarantee issue were also kind of a similar but a little bit more robust. And this is what really was driving most of all of the increase in your plans over the last few years. Okay. I thought guarantee issue was essentially you can't turn someone away. Isn't that part of a guarantee issue? So some of that is in there, yes. So, okay. so under that, you would have a whole slew of regulations that would be related to that topic and category. Okay, and the third one you mentioned was community rating. And that, and I'll just tell you, all of this, they are very intertwined like snakes, okay, like snakes slithering together. But um, this community rating essentially had to do with pricing policies. And in real free market America, if you had someone come to you as a 20-year-old Olympic athlete in perfect condition, you're going to guess, and you're actuarially speaking, that the risk that male or female has health-wise going forward for 10 years are much reduced compared with a, you know, 70-year-old diabetic obese smoker. They're just going to be different risks. But the both Obamacare set uh, limitations or uh, had a, um, a range between which the price of premiums could differ from the lowest to highest. And this bill just changed the range a little bit but did not free up insurance companies to price policies based on actuarial data. Correct. And, and uh, if you are a younger person under under these regulations, you really got hit hard. Uh, for whatever reason, the way they set it up, uh, coming out of college, if you're 24, 25, well, I guess under Obamacare, you could be 26 and still be covered. But let's say you're 27 and you're getting your very first job. You've got school loans you're trying to pay for. This, compared to, like, say, a retired person, really drove up your costs relative to someone who is 50 or 60 years old at a time when you're least able to afford those increases. So, for instance, if you were uh, under the age of 35, your prices went up just from this regulation alone, 19 to 35%. If you were uh, older, uh, let's say greater than uh, 55, your prices went down slightly. Okay. This is very helpful. And again, uh, happy listeners, the reason we're going through this is because we're going to get to, um, in the whole next um, you know, half an hour, all of the amazing opportunities America has, because we're at a crossroads, we should not think we're in a healthcare crisis. We are in a place we could be springing forward into a renewed commitment to bringing market pressures into the whole healthcare issue. Because what Wade and Lori and I were just talking about were the things that were in this bill that were going to essentially continue the government mandate, control, regulate, set prices, set conditions, policies that are, you know, they are socialistic in nature. They are 
Um, they do not respond to market market forces, and they cause bizarre things. Like a 26-year-old is really healthy and has never, you know, engaged in drugs and smoking and all that stuff to pay a, a premium far higher than his the risks that the government, the insurance company is really taking in insuring him, which caused them to say, of course, actually, never mind about that insurance. I'll, I'll, I'll take the chance. But I want to go through these because I think it's really important to understand the left is trying very hard to characterize conservatives as uncaring. But really, it is the left-wing policy of government-controlled health care that's extremely uncaring to young people. It's also, it is uncaring to the average Joe of almost any age because it's taking away some of your liberty. It's, as I said, I should be able to buy a health insurance policy that says only if you break your leg on a Tuesday, I want to pay for it. That's my business. And that's the insurance company. They want to issue it. And there's something about reintroducing freedom in the health care system that is really a blessing to the poorest, the wealthiest, the sickest and the healthiest. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment is the singular issue that emerged from this debate about health care is what do we do about the term is pre-existing conditions, or I was in my blog post, I wrote about it, I talked about the chronically uninsurable. In America, we have always, and we will always, as a good and compassionate nation, care for people who are mentally or physically disabled, We will provide some way that we provide some care and for those truly chronically uninsurable. But what has happened in the discussion about this is the argument's been made, well, you know, the only way we can cover chronically uninsurable or people with pre-existing conditions is some big fat government mandate. And once that happens, once you embrace that, then everything, all the dominoes fall after that. Because, well, in that case, you got to cover this. You can't cover this. You, you, you got to force everybody in because you got to force these young people to pay a premium eight times higher than they should in order to pay for these other people, and that doesn't have to happen. There are literally dozens of ideas out there. We're going to try in the next half an hour to share a bunch of them with you. But reintroducing the concept of personal responsibility, of a difference between health care and health insurance, and of freedom in America is what we got to talk about. Come back after our break. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high. 
to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgettis. I got my fabulous Right View Roundtable joining me tonight, Lori Medina and Wade Miller. And we're talking about the healthcare situation. And I really want to encourage all of us to be very focused on what is being said in the media versus what is true and being inspired, as I keep saying, to go back to getting free market ideas. But before we hit that, so I went to this thing recently, the Wall Street Journal put on in Dallas, and they were talking about Trump's first 100 days. And among the things they talked about was the health care um, bill not passing. And um, the argument was made by several of them that the Freedom Caucus kept moving the goalposts and that, you know, once Paul Ryan made one concession, those mean, nasty Freedom Caucus people wanted another demand, another demand. And I don't think they're the ones moving the goalposts. But I think Wade has something to say about that, maybe Laurie too. Well, absolutely. So remember, originally the goalpost was that we will fully repeal Obamacare. And that was the goalpost for seven years. That's what they campaigned on. That's what they fundraised on. That's what they've been promising us. They told us to give us the House, and they'd get it done. Then they said, well, well, we need the Senate. We'll get it done. And then they said, give us the presidency. We'll get it done. So all of a sudden, 
The goalpost is full repeal. What do we see? We see a bill that is far from full repeal that doesn't address any of the cost problems. It leaves a lot of Obamacare still in there. It's nowhere near a full repeal. So in steps the House Freedom Caucus, and they have some grave concerns, and rightly so. So they put their demands on the table, which was that they wanted to get rid of Title I regulations. That's what's causing all the costs on American families. And it was Paul Ryan and uh, House leadership who came back and was trying to nickel and dime on things, and they'd offer one tiny regulation here or there. And the House Freedom Caucus stood their ground and said, no, we want uh, we want the Title I regulations. Now, the reality is, is that the House Freedom Caucus was ready to compromise even further. If they could get most of the regulations, they probably would have uh, gone along with this bill. But Paul Ryan just absolutely refused, and, and they are the ones who moved the goalposts so far off that we're not even playing on the same field with this bill. Amen to that. And the other similar thing I heard, and I think Lori and I were talking about this uh, on the break and uh, on the phone and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there is so much um, confusion. Actually, you'll see things on Twitter. We, we both are active on Twitter. You see things on Twitter that and Facebook, you know, essentially saying what is wrong with the Freedom Caucus? You know, we ran on repeal and the Republicans gave him a repeal bill and the Freedom Caucus won't stand with President Trump. And so um, I, that doesn't strike me as quite fair. Well, you know, Debbie, and kind of back to Wade's point, the fact for seven years, the Republicans have been um, uh, getting our money, our donations, right? Taking our money. I would say taking it pretty much. Um, uh, running for reelection. Uh, and it's all on the idea of repeal. And how many times have they held a vote to repeal during those seven years? Wasn't it like 50 times? Yeah. So they have voted for 50 times to repeal Obamacare, the worst legislation potentially, I mean, easily probably in the history of America, they have voted to repeal it. And now when they have the power to really repeal it, they don't. So you're right, Debbie, there is a lot of confusion, what I would call out there in Republican land. Um, You know, I I think a lot of people, we we get into this thing, and I think this happened kind of back in the election of, you know, Democrats bad, Republican good, you know, and there's there's really they they don't understand the in-between or the nuances that that quite frankly, really both are bad and a lot of times. And that's where we're at. And I I ran into a friend on Saturday and and he said to me, he said he's a guy that that I love dearly. And he and I agree on on so many issues politically and and and. uh, policy wise and he said Lori he goes what are the republicans doing why did they not pass trump's bill what what happened i said are you kidding me that was the worst thing ever so here's a guy that that watches fox news that pays attention that reads an occasional article here and there here's a guy a smart guy uh you know affluent guy and he didn't even get it and i would say that probably represents majority of republicans out there that they see trump as uh you know saying that he was going to do something with obamacare i don't know that he ever really stood on the repeal side uh strongly but he you know committed to the american public american public that he was going to stop obamacare uh repeal and he always said replace and then here we have the republicans that that for at least 50 votes, held this repeal vote and said that's what they promised no matter what, voters, no matter what, this is what we're going to do. And here they have this chance and they don't do it. So there's a lot of confusion. And I just hope that people that pledge their allegiance to the Republican Party, that they stop and look at what's really going on. The Republican Party that they have given their allegiance to for so many years have turned their back on them. 
And unfortunately, after all this happened, uh, we saw a lot of members of Congress, Republicans, and, and the President of the United States, Donald Trump, attack the Freedom Caucus and then basically say, and depending on which member, it varied slightly, but basically said, we still have Obamacare now because of the House Freedom Caucus. When the reality is, is that had this bill passed for the average American family, we still would have had Obamacare. Yep. And, 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 and again, the reality here is that if, if Donald Trump's goal here is to drain the swamp, there is no group in the House of Representatives more committed to helping him do that than the House Freedom Caucus. And in this action, the House Freedom Caucus did President Trump a gigantic favor by stopping this bill. Had it passed and these costs would have gone up, it would have been a very difficult primary, and a lot of voters would have been very upset in 2018 and 2020. They should be thanking the House Freedom Caucus, and I would like to see President Trump and the House Freedom Caucus team up on the back end of this, get it done, but then also recommit themselves to draining the swamp and realizing that Paul Ryan is a part of that swamp, and he is a big part of what is causing the problem. Absolutely. You know, and I think even from a... You know, I, I look things through like a marketing perspective. Who in the world, Debbie, came up <laughs> with the name of this bill? American Health Care Act. Okay, so Obamacare was a CA, Affordable Care Act. So this one is supposed to be the let's change everything. And it's literally they insert one letter into it. I mean, from a marketing perspective, what are these people thinking? And really, Paul Ryan, to your point, is giving away his hand right there. He's showing his cards right there that this is really just the insert of a little letter, but there's no difference. Yeah, there is a- no difference. You know what? If I were, if, if I was one of those guys up there, I would have called it the Obamacare, Re- Obamacare Stinks Repeal Act. <laughs> That's what I would call it because okay. I would let t- truth, in, <laughs> truth in advertising. I would let yeah. everybody know this is what this is. Yeah. Obamacare stinks, and I'm saving America's health care from right. Obama. Yeah. Okay. You know, on that note about um, the, this whole, and I'm so glad we're talking about all this because I do feel like so many Americans in the millions turned out to support President Trump because they saw him, I mean, on many issues, but. Obamacare was a huge one. Yep. They saw him as changing the country's direction. You had Obama bringing, you know, Obamacare. You could see Hillary bringing single payer. They could see this just complete clamp down government controlled health care. And they thought, oh, a different path. But now Donald Trump, President Trump has been saying, well, you know, and tweeting, well, you know, if I can't get Freedom Caucus, maybe I'll just reach out to the Democrats. So this is incumbent on you, my happy listeners, to be communicating with your, your U.S. congressman, your U.S. senator, with Donald Trump be active on Twitter saying, no, President Trump, we didn't elect you to play games with the Democrats. We elected you to actually repeal Obamacare, to repeal the idea that government controls health care in this country and to con- to repeal the controls that actually drive all the costs up. We, we, we hired you, President Trump, to fix it, not to play with the Democrats. And this is kind of the, one of the problems where I mean, I am I am. Grateful every day, honestly, that President Trump won because otherwise we would have single payer and a lot of other bad things under Hillary Clinton. But I'm not he's not a policy guy. He's not a want guy. So he needs our help. And on that note, I want to turn to talking about, if I can, we can jump back on these things, but the single issue, in fact, back at the Wall Street Journal first 100 days thing, they talked about, you know, one thing that the Republicans just simply had to fix and had to address whatever legislation they come up with is this, how do we protect people with pre-existing conditions 
or as I was calling them, chronically uninsurable, how do we take care of those people? And I was thrilled because Daniel Horowitz, who's been on this show a couple times, he's coming on again soon, and he's a writer at a great blog called Conservative Review, conservativereview.org. He, Daniel Horowitz, has written many, many pieces uh, on the subject of the health care bill. But one thing he wrote about, and I want to make sure everyone understands, that there's a free market answer to the question of what do we do about pre-existing conditions. The name of the policy, this insurance policy that resu- that addresses this issue, is called Health Status Insurance. And on one recent episode on Conservative Review, Daniel Horowitz actually interviewed a guy, Professor Cochran, C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E. I'm going to put all... I'm starting a new thing, by the way. I'm going to start emailing out after the show, the links to what we talk about, because I get people asking me afterwards, what was that article you're talking about? So I'm going to email this out. But the guy, this professor is basically making the point that health health insurance companies really wanted to address a lot of the problems in healthcare, And many of the solutions to healthcare challenges are outlawed, prohibited, either by Obamacare or by legislation prior to Obamacare. And there are so many choices, including this beautiful thing, health status insurance, which in a nutshell is insurance you buy along with your regular health insurance that insures you against your premium increases in price. We come back from the break. I'll explain more, but it's really important to understand even this issue that's tender and tough, there is an answer that involves free markets and not government crackdown. Don't go away. Debbie George Addis, America Can We Talk. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in health care, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? 
can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you why I do this radio show, America Can We Talk?, In my life, I've been a full-time attorney, a wife, and a stay-at-home mom, a volunteer at our kids' schools and sports teams, and a political activist. I've been active in many political campaigns, organizations, and events, from the grassroots level to elected leadership roles, and from volunteer to paid consultant. One theme that runs through my life since my days of majoring in political science in college has been a continually growing admiration for the idea of America, and that gets me to why I do this show. America is the most important political idea in the world. Everything good and great about America is the result of these ideas of America, things like the rule of law, limited power in the federal government, separation of powers, protection of individual rights of each citizen. So on my show, we talk about the events and stories of the day, always tied back to preserving the ideas of America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I am so enjoying the show tonight, honestly, because I have been reading, stewing, writing, tweeting about the healthcare thing for so long. Mm-hmm. And I just, I want to just say, something I said at the beginning too, we need to look at this as a time of opportunity to launch on important things and not as a time of, oh my gosh, we're in a dangerous, fussy time. So we were talking the break and I, I, one thing I didn't mention, I meant to, had mentioned earlier, or I said it a few weeks ago about this idea that, you know, people saying, well, we're going to fix phase two, then phase three. Mm. And my, my single little point was, this is the hot potato of the century. And I think once something is passed and everyone gets the word healthcare and Congress out of the headlines, no one wants it to come back. Okay, but there was another really important point Wade was saying about about the phase two regulation, uh, regulation only, whatever it was. So uh, it's important to, n- to note that this phase one, two, and three idea didn't even come about until a couple of days after they released this plan because they didn't realize <laughs> that conservatives were going to be so unhappy with it. So they on the fly came up with these phase two and phase three ideas. And one of the rebuttals to the House Freedom Caucus was, well, in phase two, what we'll do is we will have HHS Secretary Tom Price uh, administratively make rules and, and undo these uh, regulations. The problem is, is it takes a very long time to do that. Uh, it's not entirely clear h- how much he can legally do there. Some of them he would not be able to touch at all. Others he would only be able to loosen a little bit. And then, and then here's the kicker is that states, liberal attorney generals, Democrats from some of these states would have sued. We have a court system mm-hmm. that is just stacked full of Obama judges. Yep. Uh, it, this would have been tied up in courts. We pro- might have lost some of these battles here. But, but all of this is to say is that if you are an insurance actuary and you're looking at a unilateral action that could be, un- be undone in 2020 or 2024, 
it could be undone in the courts. It might not even go that far uh, just legally. Uh, then as an insurance actuary, you're not going to make pricing decisions on insurance plans that would benefit consumers because it's just too flimsy. You needed to get these into statute. So there really wasn't any phase two solution to this. This was just something they concocted to try to get this thing pushed forward. To appease forward. the House. Okay. Correct. I, I'm going to do my lawyer thing on, on statutes versus regulations. Okay. Statutes are things passed by Congress. And so you get to vote for your congressmen and women. They go to Congress. They make laws. Those are statutes. But regulations are written and created by agencies, unelected bureaucrats. And so even if, if it had been HHS could or Tom Price could have repealed every single regulation passed under Obamacare, just tossed it out. The statute written by Congress is still there. It's still in the law. And so the next HHS secretary put in there by a Democrat could bring all the regulations back and more. It's kind of like, I love analogies, it's kind of like when you're a kid and your dad, you're helping your dad weed the yard. And he says, don't just keep picking the dandelions, pull them up by the roots, get them out of the yard to get rid of this government controlled health care system, you have to pull up Obamacare by the roots, which means repeal the law Congress made. Okay, I want to turn to the, the, so these great free market solutions, and maybe we should talk more about this in the second hour, but there's just so much uh, in the notion that free markets have Mm -hmm. uh, solved so much for the world. So one particular one, health care status is a type of insurance. So this means you go to your insurance company if, if you weren't mandated to buy insurance and they didn't tell you what had to be in it. You'd buy the health insurance. It made sense for you based on your age and your health or whatever it is. And you could separately purchase a health policy called health status insurance, for which you also pay a premium. It's a relatively low premium. But the basic idea is as you go along in life and you have a health insurance policy and you have your health status insurance, at some point in your life, your health changes. So you have some bad diagnosis, some accident, some problem. And so the insurance company is saying, you know, you're no longer eligible for this uh, insurance you had. Now you have to get this other kind of insurance. Well, the health status insurance you purchased covers the difference in your premiums. So it covers the problem for pre-existing conditions. And this is not something some pointy-headed professor thought up in his little cubicle office someplace. This is something insurance companies contemplated and wanted to put forward prohibited by Obamacare. Understand that, that Obamacare was not going to let insurance policies write, insurance companies write policies based on potential future risk. And who cares what their reason was? The point is there is a free market solution. And even this Professor Cochran, again, I urge you to go to conservativereview.org, or is it .com? .org, I think. .com. .com. Okay, .com. And Google Daniel Horowitz, listen to his interview with this guy Cochran, because the other thing that he was talking about was you could even use this idea even though we have people currently in the insurance world who are insured and have pre-existing conditions and have policies that, that they receive because the insurance companies are forced to issue them. But his plan even includes taking care of those people, giving a two-year window, I think it was, or whatever, a three-year window to transition into insurance. The point is there are ways that you know free market people, when you set their minds free to think of things, will think of better solutions. So anything on health status you want to add before we hit Horowitz's list of 20? to me, I mean, this is really the idea of offering very specialty insurance. You know, kind of like how when you get your home insurance, 
um, you get insurance, you know, if you have maybe a lot of diamond rings and jewelry, then you can get a special uh, writer for your jewelry. You can have something, you know, if you're in a floodplain, you can get a flood, special flood insurance. You know, when you get your house insurance, the government doesn't tell you you have to buy all of these things. They, you as a consumer, you get to pick w- which type of home insurance. And insurance gets to pick what they want to offer right, you. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And so, and really, that's kind of what we're getting at here with the, with the health care insurance is that as a consumer that I can pick. What I want, if I want this uh, th- this health status inf- insurance, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a rider on top of it, uh, you know, that if you have this pre-existing large problem, then it will take care of it. But I mean, we should have that choice. And also, if you have employer-based health care, you're not allowed to have this type of coverage. <laughs> it's another government regulation that has gotten in the way of addressing this problem. And so, you know, the the big question is always, well, what about pre-existing conditions? We have to do that. We have to do that. Well, the market could actually do this if we would get the government out of the way. And and it's right. important to understand it's not just Obamacare. It's years and years and yes. years of regulation yes. Yes. going back to the 50s 40s. that have in 40s, yeah, that have caused this. There are solutions here uh, for whatever reason the Republican Party leadership is unwilling to communicate them. I think actually, I, I do wonder honestly if many of our elected members of Congress even know, even know all this. I mean, I think because of Obamacare and because of writers like Daniel Horowitz and I, and numerous others have also been writing about this, you're starting to see. Wow, it's it's like a it's like a healthcare revolution. Right. Let's reexamine what laws are limiting us. Okay, so I would run through. Daniel Horowitz had a great article at Conservative View called "20 Ideas to Crush Obamacare and Cure America's Healthcare Crisis." Okay, they were all brilliant, mm-hmm. and when you think about this why wasn't the you know why weren't the republicans in congress in addition to going for repeal saying by the way let's also change this law add this you know repeal this they had so many more options but we just got in this little i don't know again the name was a h c a (laughs) debbie that should tell you right there that's right that's right Okay, one was, which is, we talk about many times in the show, in Texas, we had a huge redo relating to medical malpractice. And basically, it didn't hurt people. If you Mm -hmm. were injured by a doctor, you got actual damages for your injuries. All it did was cap punitive damages. It capped the ability of a a, a jury to go... Given what you did, you know, I'm seven million dollars. And, and, you know, so insur- so doctors have to buy expensive malpractice insurance to cover against stuff like this. Anyway, he, so his first idea was just simply medical malpractice ending. The- and the, the real world result of that when we did that in Texas was the fact that doctors from all over the country moved to Texas. Yes. So that we had more doctors to choose from, again, as consumers. So there's a there's not just the economical side of this, but there's the real world impact, the ramifications of this. Yeah, and especially in small towns. I remember that that, that people in small towns used to have a drive farther, but doctors actually come here because we have we have more freedom. Okay, one I loved: offer tax deduction for those providing health care to indigents, which mm. I mean poor people. It's a fabulous idea. If you're a doctor and you just say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide care at no cost mm-hmm. or hardly any cost, give them a tax break. I mean. Rather. The fact this doesn't exist, I can't even believe it. I mean, I, yeah. I just, when I read this, I couldn't believe that this didn't exist already. And, yeah. and God forbid the United States government encourage charity. Right. There you go. Because they <laughs> want to be the charitable God. 
They and do. I, that's yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, another one: the FDA approval process. Just the Food and Drug Administration, and everyone knows. I think when you when you're a pharmaceutical company, you come up with all sorts of great new drugs. But the process to get some experimental drug from the point of uh, the laboratory experiments to uh, legal to sell is so lengthy and expensive that the pharmaceutical companies understandably say, you know, we spent three million dollars developing this drug. We get to have a, uh, you know, uh, lost the word, a patent on it, and so. For seven years, no one else can make it, and it costs a fortune, so we're going to recoup those costs, and so, you know, through high drug prices. Well, among the many other choices is, one is, and this I think is a bill now, was the idea that if some other country that has a modern healthcare system approves some drug... Let our country say, okay, maybe we don't have our process yet, but make it available for sale and to say, you know, this drug is available for sale in the, in the following two countries, so let's make it legal here. Oh, two minutes. This pest behind the uh, boards is trying to tell me you only have two minutes left. Well, He's but, always shutting me up. But okay, the overriding whole thing of this, Debbie, is the fact that this is government pushing out innovation, small business uh, great minds, great thinkers. Um, it is it is creating a crony capitalism for these big companies. That's what this is. All okay. of these and points are yeah, making that point. Could not agree more. There's another. You know, this I got to tell you. Twenty. You got to get them all. Lay quick. You can pick one. You want to go to. But I'm going to tell you this one thing, folks. Some of the regulations and laws that currently are in place are not just you know busybody people in Congress, it is because of lobbyists and existing healthcare establishment putting into law and regulation things that stop what Lori was just saying, stop the competition, stop the development of other ideas. So specialty hospitals with burdensome certifications, those, those, uh, roadblocks to specialty hospitals. We have one minute left here. This guy's telling me, okay, you, there are lots of free market ideas that could allow entrepreneurs to innovate and get rid of the limits in federal. Do you have one you want to say? I mean, just allowing affluent seniors to opt out of Medicare. They've paid into it their entire lives. If they don't want to use it, that's that's good for all of the other beneficiaries. They can go out and buy their own plan. And I think it's important to note how many of these reforms out of the, you know, 20 or so that are on here were in AHCA. Very, very few, maybe one or two. Okay. 30 seconds. Do you have another one you want to say in this list? 30 no, seconds here. No, I mean, I, 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 to me, this is comparing like back in, you know, when I was a kid and AT&T was the monopoly and we all had the same phones and we all had the same bill. And now we have Apple iPhones. We have Samsung Okay, Smart technology. Seconds. That's the difference. That's what needs to happen in healthcare. Okay, here's my last thing. Allowing unlimited health savings accounts. Three seconds left. Come back after the break. We're going to talk about Ivanka in the White House.